This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Welcome back to the first. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So we have covered Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib radiyallahu ta'ala anha. We have covered Ibn Safiya Az-Zubayr ibn al-Awwam radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, one of the 10 promised paradise. And tonight insha'Allah ta'ala we cover none other than Asma' bint Abi Bakr radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma, who is a legend in and of herself as well and someone from whom we learn courage. And if there's something that uh, underlines this entire family, it is courage. SubhanAllah, you find a, a bravery that is prominent in each one of their stories and of course is then transferred to their children. May Allah give us courage like that and may Allah give us children like that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to uh, inherit and inspire with the courage that we learn from these people. Asma' bint Abi Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anha is of course the daughter of the greatest man to walk the face of the earth that was not a prophet and that is Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Her mother was Qutayla bint Abdul Uzza. Uh, now Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, had a wife named Qutayla bint Abdul Uzza that was divorced after Islam when he uh, embraced Islam. She did not embrace Islam. And Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha and her full brother Abdullah ibn Abi Bakr come from uh, this mother Qutayla bint Abdul Uzza. Her half-sisters were Aisha uh, and Umm Kulthum uh, bint Abi Bakr and her half-brothers were Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr and Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr. If you remember with Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr, and I hope I'm not losing you all, but Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr was born to Asma' bint Umais, who was the widow of Ja'far, married Abu Bakr, had Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr, washed the body of Abu Bakr, married Ali uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that was Asma' uh, bint Umais. So uh, why is this important? Because we're going to find that Asma and Abdullah are the two children, and they are full brother and full sister, the two children that play that important role uh, on the hijrah. And I've had this happen to me where I'll say Abdullah ibn Abi Bakr and someone will say Shaykh Ibn Abdul Rahman. I'm like, no, there is actually Abdullah ibn Abi Bakr and that is the brother of Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha. So again, the children of Abu Bakr and Qutayla bint Abdul Uzza. Uh, Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha was not... Um, married to a Zubair. Obviously, you know, he was only 12 or 13 years old when he embraced Islam. Uh, she also was young, but she is one of the first to accept Islam herself. Uh, Ibn Ishaq lists her as the 15th person to accept Islam. Of course, these numbers shift, but she is from the first batch to accept Islam. And she accepted Islam at the hands of her father, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq uh, ta'ala anhu. Uh, she was about uh, 11 years old at the time that the Prophet ﷺ received revelation. And by the way, it's important to note here that Abu Bakr anhu is of course the one on whose hands Talha and Zubair embraced Islam as well. So this is all subhanAllah from the ajr of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq anhu from the reward of Abu Bakr anhu. So you have Asma'a anha. Uh, accepting Islam early on, and we don't hear much about her in Mecca. In fact, 
there is pretty much nothing about her in Mecca. Meccan Sirah in general, because of the nature of the persecution, the way that the community was scattered, um, Meccan Sirah in general is lacking in terms of uh, the amount of information. A lot of the nobles uh, are not thoroughly covered in the Meccan Sirah. Uh, but with Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha, you find pretty much nothing about her in the time of Mecca, except that she was the daughter of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, a devoted follower. Uh, she's listed amongst those that would come to, naturally come to Dar al-Arqam and study with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and uh, knew, had a relationship with Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And obviously if you're going to be a child of Abu Bakr, you have to do that, especially a grown uh, child of Abu Bakr. As we said, Zubair comes back to Medina and Abu Bakr عنه, marries Zubair to Asma in Mecca before the Hijrah to Medina. Uh, within the first year of their marriage, she gets pregnant and that's when the Hijrah is going to take place and they're going to make the Hijrah and Asma عنها, uh, heavily pregnant uh, on that day. Now, this is subhanAllah where the legend starts with Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha is that she was tasked with taking the food to Abu Bakr and to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam during the hijrah. And she used to take her, uh, her, her waist belt and she uh, tore it into two and then she tied the goods uh, with two belts and so she was uh, given the title from the Prophet as that Nitaqain, the possessor of two belts. And the Prophet saw her with her two waist belts uh, and the way that she was carrying the food to the Prophet and Abu Bakr. And the Prophet smiled and told her, Indeed, Allah has given you in exchange for this two belts in paradise. So it's not just a name in which she takes pride. It's a name that speaks to a very specific reward that the Prophet ﷺ has promised her that you will carry two belts in paradise, which obviously means libasul jannah, which means the clothing of al jannah, which means that she is amongst the people that was promised paradise. And so it's significant to say that she's one of those that was promised paradise as well, obviously uh, through this unique incident with the Prophet ﷺ. So when they made the hijrah, Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha took the risk as a pregnant woman, a heavily pregnant woman of constantly going and sneaking food to Abu Bakr and to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Her brother Abdullah was in charge of trying to hear some of the news of the people uh, of Mecca. So she stayed back and you can imagine the danger here and the hardship of her staying back in Mecca and trying to coordinate with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Abu Bakr anhu in Ghar Thawr. And the news reaches Abu Jahl that Asma anha is aware of the location of the Prophet and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq anhu. And it's important to mention here that, you know, at this point, Abu Jahl is not targeting some of the Muslims. He's going after the Prophet himself. So this is the, the point in time in the seerah where the Pharaoh of this Ummah, Abu Jahl, the Fir'aun of this Ummah, is trying to kill them all. He's killed men and women. He's killed people that belong to powerful tribes. He's, he's killed those that were enslaved. He's killed people right and left at this point. He is obviously the architect of the boycott and he is the architect along with the shaitan himself 
of the plan to attack the Prophet with various uh, tribesmen so that no one tribe will share the blame of the murder of the Prophet I want you to actually sit with that for a moment and imagine what it's like for Asma to be alone in Mecca at that point. The Muslims have left and to get a knock on the door and to know it's Abu Jahl, right? He's the size of Umar bin Khattab Asma has seen him kill people and she knows that he has reached the point of where he is killing anyone in front of him from the Muslims. And she's pregnant with her son, heavily pregnant, and she has no one to protect her. So Abu Jahl knocks on the door. She answers the door. Abu Jahl demands from her, where is your father and the Prophet She refuses to respond. He asks her again. His face became red. He's full of anger. Where is Muhammad and Abu Bakr? Asma says, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you anything. And at that point, he slaps her so hard. And she never forgot that slap, subhanAllah. I mean, she's, she's you know, a pregnant woman being slapped by this huge man, the pharaoh of this ummah. He slapped her so hard that her earring fell and she lost her earring uh, from that slap and demanded once again, where is Muhammad and Abu Bakr anhu, and Asma with her sabr, with her patience, refuses to tell him and he does not kill her and lets her, uh, lets her go um, in those moments. So SubhanAllah, this was a difficult moment for Asma and at that point, you know, she is uh, leaving after they have assured the safety of Abu Bakr and the Prophet وسلم, as she's leaving. There's actually a conversation that's narrated between her and her grandfather, Abu Quhafa, uh, now, Abu Quhafa did not become Muslim until the conquest of Mecca. So, you know, uh, you find the family of Abu Bakr عنه, embracing Islam early on. Abu Quhafa, his own father held out and this pained Abu Bakr al-Siddiq He wanted so badly for his father to embrace Islam and he would embrace Islam in the conquest of Mecca with his hair fully gray at that point uh, coming to the Prophet But at this point, Abu Quhafa uh, is still hanging on to the idea that this has brought shame to the people of Mecca, shame to the tribes. And he goes to her and says to her that this man, meaning Muhammad has put you so, through so much hardship. What type of man puts you through so much hardship, through so much adversity. He deprived you of himself and his property. I mean, he left you here. Your father left you here. You've been put in this horrible situation and he deprived you. Asma radiallahu anha responds to her grandfather and says he has left plenty for us. He's given us much, right? SubhanAllah, not only has he not been bakhil, has he not deprived us, he's given us much. Meaning what the Prophet gave us is invaluable. You cannot put a price tag on it. And so she makes her way uh, to Al-Madinah, to Quba. Uh, she is heavily pregnant. And of course, as we mentioned, uh, she gives birth to the first of her eight children, uh, Abdullah. And she would have the following children, her and Zubair would have Abdullah, Al-Munzir, Asim, Al-Muhajir, uh, and Urwa, okay, from the boys. And then they would have uh, three uh, girls, and guess what their names were? Khadija, Aisha, and Umul Hassan. SubhanAllah. So she named uh, two of her daughters after the two uh, uh, most blessed wives of the Prophet Khadija radiallahu anha, and then Aisha 
her sister anha. So these were the eight children uh, that they had. And as we mentioned, when Abdullah was born, uh, she is the narrator of the, those moments when Abdullah was born and the Prophet came to her to, uh, to take Abdullah, to mix his saliva with Abdullah, to, uh, to carry Abdullah and to make dua for him anhu, and she would have a lifelong journey. She would be there with Abdullah until the moment of his death and then she would live shortly after him as well, uh, which we will talk about. Now, when she was in Medina, there are a few incidents that are narrated about her in Al-Madina. One of them is that she mentions Qutayla, her mother, came to visit her in Al-Madina uh, during the lifetime of the Prophet Wasallam. And again, uh, the, you know, her mother had held back from becoming Muslim. So Qutayla did not accept Islam, but she wanted to come and visit uh, her daughter Asma in Medina. So she didn't know how to react to her mother coming to visit and her mother abstaining from becoming Muslim. And now she's in Medina. So she said, I went to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and I said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, my mother has come to visit me and she desires to, you know, to, to, to receive, uh, you know, uh, reward from me. She desires to be in my company. Should I keep a good relationship with her? And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi tells her to show ihsan to her, to keep a good relationship uh, with her mother. And of course, this is consistent with what Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala tells us in the Quran, that we have commanded everyone to show excellence to their parents. And even if the parents were in jahadaka ala an tushrika bi shay'a, if they command you to associate a partner with Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, la then do not obey them. And instead keep a good relationship with them, even as you do not obey them in disobeying Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, associating partners with him. So this is an incident with uh, Qutayla, where the Prophet Sallallahu tells Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha to do the same. Now, what was her situation like? It was poverty, okay? So you're going to see with the life of Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha that she never got a break from struggle. Her entire life was struggle, was struggle. From the very beginning when she accepts Islam until the very end of her life, it is struggle, it is tyrants, it is poverty. And she explains the situation. She said, when Zubair anhu married me, he had no land, he had no money, he had no servants, he had nothing else. He had just one camel uh, to get some water and he had a horse. She said, I used to graze his horse. I used to provide fodder for it. I used to look after it. She said, I used to ground the dates for his camel. And besides this, and, uh, and you know, grazing the camel, I would make arrangements for providing it with water. I'd patch up his leather bucket. I would need the flour. I would do all sorts of things. She said, and I wasn't good at baking the bread. So some of my female neighbors, they would help me with baking the bread because they were sincere women. So I, we had nothing. We lived in absolute poverty. And this connects to the end of a Zubair's life, right? Where they just lived a life of debt. So she said, and I used to carry on my head the date stones from the land of a Zubair which the Prophet ﷺ had given to him as a waqf, as an endowment. And it was a distance of two miles from Medina. And this is actually another narration as well that the Prophet ﷺ gifted a Zubayr anhu a land uh, that, he could, that he could benefit from because he didn't have anything. He's so busy with battle and so busy, you know, being a general in the army of the Prophet ﷺ. He didn't have anything. And so she said, you know, I just go and collect whatever date stones I could. And she said, one day, I was carrying the date stones on my head and I happened to meet Allah's Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
along with a group of his companions. And the Prophet saw me. You can imagine the scene, the difficulty that she is in. And you know, if you remember the story of Fatima radiallahu anha, this is a testimony to sincerity, by the way, right? Fatima radiallahu anha was struggling and she's the daughter of the Prophet Asma radiallahu anha struggling. She's the daughter of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. This, this was the life of struggle that these people lived and they did not um, you know, take from the, the wealth of the ummah, take from the wealth of the nation and bestow it upon themselves. So this is Asma, the daughter of Abu Bakr, who the Prophet ﷺ had told on the hijrah, you know, when he saw her carrying the little food that she did in her waist belt to the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Bakr, that Allah would give her a different waist belt in Al-Jannah. And he's seeing her in this way. And the Prophet ﷺ, he, uh, he got down and the Prophet ﷺ made his camel sit down. And the Prophet ﷺ invited Asma anha to sit on the camel. And she said, I felt shy to go with the men. And I remembered Az-Zubayr and his sense of ghira, his sense of jealousy and his sense of honor. And he was a man that had the most ghira. So I didn't, you know, not only did I feel shyness, but I also, you know, was worried about how Az-Zubayr would take it, right? Of, of, you know, me riding on the camel of the Prophet with all of the men in that situation. So, I, you know, I, I, I basically looked at the Prophet ﷺ and he understood. The Prophet ﷺ had high emotional intelligence. He understood my shyness, my reservations to the Prophet ﷺ. He didn't say anything. He simply got back on his camel and the Prophet ﷺ uh, proceeded along with the man. So she said, I went to Az-Zubayr and I said that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he saw me as I was carrying date stones upon my head and there was with him a group of his companions. He told his camel to kneel so that I could mount it, but I felt shy from him and I remembered your ghira. As Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, Wallahi, the thought of you carrying the date stones on your head is more severe a burden to me than you riding with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Like I'm more hurt by the fact that you were seen that way, right? This is embarrassing. And you know it's hard to know that you were seen that way and that you've, you're under such stress and such burden um, with that hardship. And that's, that's what's hurting me right now. Not you know the ghira, not, not the jealousy or the honor or anything of that sort. So she said that I led this life of hardship until Abu Bakr anhu sent me a female maid who took upon herself the responsibility of looking after the horse and he said, and she said, I felt as if she had freed me from slavery. That subhanAllah, that one, you know, addition into our household to help me out with that was like freeing me from slavery. So she's saying that her life felt like the life of a slave uh, before that because of the difficulty and the hardship uh, that they had uh, lived in. And, you know, she's going to live a very long life radiallahu ta'ala anha and she's going to live uh, with her son Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. But before I, I get that, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you go through the ahadith that Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha uh, narrates from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there are a few interesting ahadith because they speak to the situation and the hardship uh, that they were in at the time. One of them, Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he talks about this incident in which the verse was revealed, ثُمَّ يَوْمَ إِذٍ عَنِ النَّعِيمِ That on that day, you will be asked about your blessings, 
On that day, you'll be asked about your na'im, your blessings. And as Zubayr said, what delights, what na'im, what blessings are we going to be asked about? And it's only the two, al-aswadan, al-tamru wal ma, the two black ones, which means the dates in the water. And it was said to him, Ama innahu sayakun, that yes, you'll even be asked about those blessings, the dates in the water, which is all that they had. Uh, there's also a narration where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says to Asma radiallahu anha, she comes to the Prophet and she says, I have nothing of my own except what a Zubair brings to the house. Should I spend out of it? You know, do I, do I give it in sadaqah? And the Prophet tells her uh, to give and do not hoard or else your sustenance will be hoarded. Do not withhold or else Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will withhold from you. So the Prophet encourages her to give sadaqah. Uh, another time, the Prophet ﷺ says to her uh, very powerfully, he says, La tuhsi fayuhsi Allah Azza wa Jalla alayki. Do not count, or else Allah will count what He gives to you. Don't count, or else Allah will count what He gives to you. Meaning, when you give sadaqah, the ideal state of ihsan, the right hand gives in a way that the left hand doesn't even know, right? Give freely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't count or else Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will count uh, with you. So the Prophet sallallahu encouraging uh, Asma radiallahu anha to continue to give sadaqah. She mentions that we were commanded to free slaves at the time of the uh, khusuf and kusuf, at the time of the solar and the lunar eclipses. So it's really interesting because you see obviously, you know, what came about later on in their lives. But this was the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam speaking to them about their situation, that obviously that the, the life of ease that they uh, would live would be the life of ease in paradise, not the life of ease uh, in this life. And Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha never got to taste that ease in this life, but certainly she tastes it in the hereafter. Now with Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha, uh, you know, if you remember Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib fighting in the battle, you know, and and, and uh, you can imagine the scene of uh, Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib in Uhud holding the spear and then in uh, in Khandaq attacking the men and sending off an entire army because they thought there was an army of men on the inside. Uh, Asma radiallahu anha is also one of those who picked up a sword in the battle of Yarmouk and fought alongside the Muslim warriors. So Asma radiallahu anha in her nature was extremely courageous and brave and seeing the, the way that the Muslims were outnumbered by the Romans, uh, there was a group of women and, and, and children even at that time that, that fought alongside uh, the army uh, against the Byzantines on that day. And she's noted as one of those that fought alongside uh, the other Muslims on that day. With Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha, um, you know, I want to mention a few things and then we'll get to inshallah ta'ala, uh, probably one of the most difficult moments to actually talk about in Muslim history. And I, and I really do mean that. Uh, it was a moment that actually shook the faith of a lot of people at the time. And it's a reality that tragedy uh, was the ending of so many in this life uh, of these noble people, but of course, only to see the ease of the hereafter with the Ta'ala. Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha, um, you know, just to think about her womb for a moment, okay? Her womb was the womb that bore Abdullah ibn Zubair, the Khalifa of the Muslims who governed from Mecca, the great Shaheed, the great leader, the great scholar, Abdullah ibn Zubair, and the great scholar, Urwa ibn Zubair. And I want you to think about this. Almost, you know, every lesson that we will go through, um, 
In fact, I would venture to say maybe every single biography we're going to cover, a chunk of it comes from Urwa ibn Zubair on behalf of his aunt Aisha. The line of the seerah that we have is Urwa, the son of Zubair and Asma, narrating from his maternal aunt Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha and giving us all of what we have from the Prophet So you know all of those ahadith about Aisha radiallahu anha on the inside? Most of that is Urwa sitting with his aunt, the sister of his mother, Asma, and gathering that knowledge of the Prophet and giving that to the rest of the ummah to benefit from. So can you imagine how much we owe that womb, subhanAllah, and owe that woman of Asma bint Abi Bakr, how much ajr she has bearing the child of Urwa ibn Zubair that gave us so much of this that we talk about today. So just the, the legacy, those uh, those those hidden gems and those things that we don't take into consideration, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala certainly uh, writes it down, writes down the footprints and atharahum and writes down the legacies of these people. That is embodied in every lesson that we're going through, through the womb of Asma radiallahu anha and the son that she raised that would go and learn from Aisha radiallahu anha. And by the way, Aisha radiallahu anha loved Abdullah ibn Zubair like her own child. And it was so it was such a love that she had for him that she asked the Prophet what kunya she should take. You know, you have Abu so and so and Um so and so. And Aisha radiallahu anha did not have any children. And the Prophet said, You should be Um Abdullah after your nephew Abdullah because he's like a son to you, right? So take the kunya of Um Abdullah, even though you don't have a son named Abdullah, because that's how close Abdullah ibn Zubair was to Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. And of course, Asma radiallahu anha has a closeness to Aisha uh, radiallahu ta'ala anha. And um, you know, that that gives us this incident um, where we have uh, you know, a, a woman in Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha at the age of about a hundred years old talking to her son. So you know, fast forward through all of this, this woman that's operated in the background and done so much for this ummah. And you have the incident of her son being murdered at the hands of Al-Hajjaj at the Kaaba. Now, when the Kaaba, when, when Abdullah ibn Zubair, who had declared Khilafah in Mecca for over a decade, was in Mecca and the Kaaba was attacked and Mecca was attacked, that shook the hearts of many people, right? Just the imagery of that. And, you know, you think about the COVID era and we saw, you know, what it's like to see the empty haram and, and what that does to the hearts of the believers. Imagine when the Kaaba was attacked, right? And, and Abdullah ibn Zubair uh, was attacked, what that would look like. So he stands bravely at the side of the Kaaba. And one of the things that, just to give some pretext to this, Asma narrates from Aisha quite a bit. So Asma radiallahu anha, narrated from Aisha radiallahu anha uh, that the Prophet mentioned about the shape of the Kaaba. The Prophet said, do you know that the Kaaba was built differently by Ibrahim alayhi salam? And Aisha said, what do you mean? And the Prophet said, Ibrahim alayhi built it as a rectangle and the door was on the ground and people used to enter from one door and enter out of the, out of the, the other door. When Quraysh rebuilt the Kaaba, they built it in the shape that you see today because they did not have enough money from that, that was free from you know, interest and usury and gambling and, and, and prostitution and the other things that they used to do. So they just built the semicircle there and they did not complete the Kaaba as a rectangular shape and they moved the door up so that they could prohibit people and only allow the elites to enter into the Kaaba. 
And Aisha radiallahu anha is asking the Prophet I'm like, Ya Rasulullah, aren't you going to change it? And the Prophet mentions they're too close to the days of ignorance. And had I not you know, known that this would um, unnecessarily disrupt things, I would have changed it, but their people are too close to the days of ignorance. Um, so Asma' narrates this hadith. Abdullah ibn Zubair, when he became the Khalifa of Mecca, he changed the Kaaba back to the way the Prophet described it, as Ibrahim alayhi salam uh, had actually built it. And the hadith that the greatest jihad is kalimatu haqq inda sultan in ja'ir, a word of truth in the face of a tyrant. Asma' radiallahu anha stood in front of Abu Jahl and spoke a word of truth as a pregnant woman all by herself, completely vulnerable. And then as a 100-year-old woman stood in front of the face of one of the most brutal tyrants the Ummah has ever seen in Hajjaj and spoke a word of truth to him, not fearing anyone but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this woman was a special uh, woman. And here you have the situation when a Zubair, uh, Abdullah ibn Zubair uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he comes to Asma uh, radiallahu anha, his mother, and it's one of the most heartbreaking conversations that you see between a son and a mother. Uh, these two people that had lived long lives serving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Abdullah ibn Zubair comes to talk to his mother and seek advice about whether he should give up or not. Like, should I just surrender to these people or should I keep uh, fighting? And Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha says, Wallahi, a dignified strike with a sword is more beloved than a humiliating lash of a whip. Keep your dignity. This 100-year-old woman and she's saying, look, we lived through, we lived through Abu Jahl. We lived through the Pharaoh of this ummah. Keep your dignity and keep going. And he says, aren't you going to be sad about me, O oh my mother, right? Because there was such a closeness between Abdullah ibn Zubair and his mother who's living at that time. And she says, I would feel sad for you, O oh my son, if you were killed in falsehood. She said, Alhamdulillah, all praises be to the one who made you in a way that Allah loves and in a way that I love as well. And um, she says to him, اقترب مني يا بني لأتشمم رائحته Come close to me, O oh my son, so I can feel your body and I can smell you for the last time. Because she knows he's going to be killed and Abdullah ibn Zubair knows he's going to be killed. And he hugs her, he kisses her hands, he kisses her feet, he kisses her head, and he holds on to her. And they hold on to one another crying. Um, you know, the last time a mother and son will embrace one another in this world. And she says to him, What are you wearing, O oh my son? And Ibn Zubair says that, you know, this is my armor on the inside. And he said, I wore it to make you comfortable, like to let you know that I'm, 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 I'm keeping myself covered. And she responds and she says that, you know, this is not shahada. That's not the dress of a person that is about to be martyred that seeks that shahada in those moments. And Abdullah ibn Zubair continues and says, I'm afraid, oh my mother, that they're going to kill me. They're going to mutilate my corpse. They're going, corpse, they're going to hang me. And she says, oh my son, the sheep is not harmed by the skinning after the slaughter. Continue forth with your clear vision, with your sight and seek the aid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And she told him to wear his, his clothes tight so that his aura is not exposed. And Abdullah ibn Zubair, he's going out to be killed. And he knows that he has no chance in front of this 
tyranny at this point. And on his way out, the last conversation between him and his mom, he tells his mother, do not stop making du'a for me. Please do not stop making du'a for me. And the sight is him walking out of the house and she raises her hands to the sky and she makes du'a uh, for him. And he took a bath. He wore his kefen, um, you know, ready for death in that moment. And indeed, um, he was murdered by the Kaaba, mutilated by the Kaaba. And uh, Hajjaj, this brutal tyrant, um, crucified him by the Kaaba. And Abdullah ibn Umar who narrates very sadly, he says, I remember in Medina the day that Abdullah ibn Zubair was born and the Muslims chanted Allahu Akbar. And I remember and now I'm seeing a day that Abdullah ibn Zubair is killed and people are chanting Allahu Akbar. And he's saying those people are the best of all people. These people are the worst of all people. SubhanAllah, look at the difference. They chant Allahu Akbar and the Muslims that were chanting Allahu Akbar on the day that they held uh, the body, the baby of Abdullah ibn Zubair anhuma, and went through the streets. And Asma anha is coming out to see the body of Abdullah ibn Zubair, similar to the way that Safiya was going to see the body of Hamza and Abdullah ibn Umar tries to stop her and says to her, another connection to the series uh, about death. He says to her, listen, these bodies are nothing. The souls are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what's it gonna do to you to go and see the body of your son, Abdullah ibn Zubair? And she said, she said, what would stop me when the head of Yahya John, the son of Zakaria, John, the head of Yahya was gifted to one of the prostitutes of the prostitutes of Bani Israel. So, you know, why am I uh, better than the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I know about the way that these bodies are and I know that these bodies are, uh, are, are not uh, what contains the people, but it is the souls that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala contains. And she goes and she goes to the body of her son, Abdullah ibn Zubair, and she demands a 100-year-old woman. She says, isn't it time for this, isn't it time for this warrior to be brought down? Isn't it time for this noble man to be brought down? Isn't it time for him to be, to, to be given a, a noble uh, death. She she continues to demand that he's taken down and not put in this humiliating way, uh, in this fashion. And she goes to speak to Al Hajjaj, the tyrant who killed her son. And she, uh, you know, she 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 marches in, one hundred year old woman to talk to him. And he said, "You didn't ask permission." She said, well, "How should I ask your permission? You killed my son." And he said, "Al Munafiq." Hajjaj responds about Abdullah ibn Zubair, you mean the hypocrite? And she said that, you know, uh, she called him a liar and she, she, uh, she spoke back to him. And he said that your son, uh, you know, violated the haram of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the, 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 sanct the sanctuary of Allah. So I killed him as a sinful violator should be killed so that Allah can make him taste the punishment for what was done to him. Or I'm sorry, for, for Allah, so that Allah can make him uh, taste the punishment of what he has done. So she said to him, You have lied, O enemy of God and enemy of the Muslims. By Allah, Wallahi, the one you killed was engaged in salah and siyam, in fasting and prayer. He was a guardian of the deen. 
He used to respect his parents and love his parents. He was a protector of this religion. And she said, and if you have ruined his dunya, if you've ruined his worldly life, then surely he has ruined your afterlife. And Rasulullah said that two liars will come to us from Thaqif, the last one worse than the first, and he is the murderer. And surely you are him, O Hajjaj. So she's challenging him in his face. And he, you know, he's, he's completely shrunk and humiliated by this noble woman that would go to the Prophet in the Hijrah and would serve the Prophet and that spoke a word of truth in front of a, a greater tyrant in Abu Jahl. And she, he was unable to do anything uh, with her. And this woman, Asma would die in her ibadah at the age of 100 years old. SubhanAllah. Think about all that she saw in her 100 years um, alongside the Prophet striving for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and going through the hardships that uh, she went through. Her legacy is obviously part of the long legacy of courage that comes from this family and that service to Allah and the Messenger and what she gave to us and her children. Uh, but I want to mention some other something else about her legacy, by the way, just in terms of the teaching. So subhanAllah, just as we, we see that, you know, we have the... Um, you know, the, the, the legacy of Az-Zubayr anhu, but no ahadith uh, or very few ahadith that are narrated from him. Asma'a was a teacher of this ummah and she lived a long life and she narrated multiple ahadith from the Prophet and she taught the ummah, the fiqh, uh, the jurisprudence of so many different things. So there are numerous ahadith from her in, on, on hijab, on uh, ruqya, on uh, menstruation, things of that sort within women's issues. She wasn't shy to ask the Prophet some of those questions and she learned them from Aisha her sister as well. So she narrates from Aisha as well. And she asked the Prophet things regarding women's issues and she narrates a lot regarding the hijab and the ruqya and so on and so forth. She also did hajj multiple times. She did hajj with the Prophet she did hajj with Abu Bakr She did hajj with her sister Aisha and she used to, she used to teach the Ummah, the fiqh of Hajj in the days of Hajj. So she resided in Mecca. And you could imagine that for that first glorious generation of Islam, when you would go to Mecca to do Hajj, you would find our great uh, our, our great aunt in Asma bint Abi Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anha teaching the Ummah, the fiqh of Hajj. But she lived that Hajj and her heart made tawaf consistently around the Kaaba that she resided next to and she strove for this deen and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed her to maintain her nobility and her dignity throughout this entire life. And just as she told her son that the disgrace is to die upon that which is falsehood and dignity and honor is to die upon that which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, maintaining your, uh, your state, maintaining that connection. And she demonstrated that throughout her life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha, be pleased with her father, be pleased with Zubair, be pleased with her children, be pleased with uh, Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib, this blessed family. Inshallah ta'ala, uh, next time we will go into the story of Talha ibn Ubaidullah, who is inseparable from Zubair. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, be pleased with all of these noble ones and to join us with them, the neighbors of the Prophet and Jannah for those. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.